Father. We thank you for a beautiful day. Dear Lord Jesus, open your eyes. Open our eyes, Lord. To see nothing but you, Father. Flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your Son, Jesus. And that not only will we grow, but we will come to maturity. Thank you, Father, for your gift to us. Thank you for the privilege I have in pastoring. But I'm so honored for this great appointment. I vow to give you all the praise, Lord, because it all belongs to you. Mature the saints, Lord. Mature the saints. Mature the saints, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There is a glory. So many angels in the building. In fact, the angels are more than the people in the service. I see them. see them I see them thank you Holy Spirit thank you for a wonderful service today thank you Father glory alright we continue with our teaching on the five kinds of obedience we said in the new testament there are five main kinds of obedience we have explained them in a while now we said the first kind of obedience is the obedience of Christ in this obedience no man ever contributed to it It is something that Jesus did for us. Every man because of the sin and disobedience of Adam became disobedient. The Bible says that we were by nature children of wrath. And we were sons of disobedience because of the disobedience of Adam. So no man was worthy enough to be obedient enough before God. So God himself had to obey on man's behalf. And that obedience was was culminated on the cross when Jesus Christ died. And that act of obedience is what brought salvation. Praise God. You did not decide to be saved. You need to understand this. It was God's decision to save you. What you received was something that was already accomplished by God without your permission. You only entered into something God began. Praise God. The obedience of Jesus Christ is what Christ did for us. In Romans 5.19, you see that there. 
The Bible says that for by the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. So it's not your sin that makes you disobedient. It's the sin of one man. The disobedience of one man, it made you a sinner. He says, so also by the, the obedience of one, many be made righteous. So we are made righteous not because we do right. We are made righteous because Jesus was obedient. And if you, do, if you don't understand this reality, you can never grow spiritually. Because Christianity does not begin with a big do. Christianity begins with a big done. The second obedience is the obedience of faith, which is our response to the obedience of Christ. The obedience of faith is we believe in what Jesus did in obedience to God on our behalf. Jesus obeyed God in dying. When you believe that Jesus died for you, you have obeyed God in faith. So a man's faith is actually obedience. When a man believes Jesus Christ, he has become obedient. He has become obedient to the faith. Praise God. So, so you, you began your Christian journey as an obedient child. But we also said there is a further need for obedience when we get born again. We call it the obedience of the Spirit, which is our response or our obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. As we walk with God, the Holy Spirit directs us. The Bible says he will guide you into all truth. He will take off what is mine and make it known to you. He will declare to you. So the assignment of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus known to you. The assignment of the Holy Spirit is to make you grow spiritually. The assignment of the Holy Spirit is to guide you in everything you do. So, when believers fail to respond to the Holy Spirit, we say it can be catastrophic. Then we also came to the obedience of the word of God, which is a deliberate, conscious acting upon the word of God, irrespective of what we feel. It's a deliberate acting upon the word of God, irrespective of what we feel and how we feel. You might feel that pain. God says by his tribe you are here. Will, will you believe God's word and act upon it? Or you'll look at your pain. The Bible says that even as Christ has forgiven you, you also forgive. It doesn't matter the pain. You say the pain he caused me is unforgivable. That means your sins must also not be forgivable. But Jesus forgave you even before you sinned. That tells you the faith he had in you before he died for you. Yet you can't forgive. You're not walking in the word. Praise God. So the obedience of the word of God is your deliberate, conscious acting upon God's word irrespective of what you feel and how you feel. You obey God's word. And the proof of your love for God is obeying his word. It's your proof. Praise God. Then we came to the final one which is the obedience of spiritual authority which we are still on. So we continue today, this is part four, or the D of obedience of spiritual authority. Now, we, we've said a lot about spiritual authority. We said, first of all, um, spiritual authority is not controlling people. Spiritual authority is not manipulating people. Spiritual authority is not lording it over people. The purpose of spiritual authority is for service, not lordship. Praise God. It's for service. Everything about Christianity is service. Jesus even said, for the Son of Man did not come to, to 
be saved, but he came to serve by giving his life as a ransom. So even the death of Jesus was God's service to humanity. Praise God. We said before Christians understand spiritual authority, they must first understand the church. Because if you don't have a revelation of the church, you can never understand spiritual authority. Praise God. We said the church is first of all the family of God. It's a family. The church is a family. Praise God. Jesus was the first in the four gospels to mention church. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But before that, he said, Peter, by revelation, said, thou art the son of God. Then he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus said, okay, let's get it here. He says, I'll build my church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The word rock there does not mean physical rock. And Peter was not the rock. The rock also means, it was a figurative language. The word rock there means strength. So he was saying, upon the strength of this revelation, what revelation? Thou art Christ, the son of the living God. Upon the strength of this revelation, I'll build my church. Christ, the son of the living God. So today, because Jesus Christ came as a son in his finished work, he has made us sons of God. So we are in God's family. Today, God has a family. So the church is first of all God's family. The way you treat your family members is how you should treat your family members in church. Because I told you that your real family members are not by parental blood. Your real family members are by Jesus' blood. Because if you have a sister or a brother who does not believe in Jesus Christ, you will not see him or her again if he dies. But if you have a brethren in Christ, you will see them even in eternity. So your real siblings are your siblings in Christ. The church is a family. If you cannot betray your physical siblings, you cannot betray your spiritual siblings. If you cannot talk against your physical siblings, you, you cannot say you cannot talk to anybody who is in church because the person offended you. Praise God. If you easily forgive your family members, you must easily forgive the members of the body of Jesus Christ who are sitting beside you. The best image of God on earth is the one sitting beside you. So, whatever you can do to the person is actually what you can do to God in your heart. you get it later. Number two, we said the church is the body of Christ. So, when we got born again, we were, we were included and made members of the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Praise God. We are members of Christ's body. We are not members of a denomination. We are members of a body. So I tell people, if someone leaves your church, he has not left the body of Christ. If someone leaves your church, he has not left the family of God. No. It's the body of Christ. And we are members of that body. Christ is the herd and the church is the body. Come on, shout it, I'm the body of Christ. So it tells you how inseparable or inseparable we are with God. Number three, we said the church is the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's the what? The bride of Christ. Now, this should change your perception. Even if you are married, you should see your wife or your husband as your brother or your sister. So first of all, your, your, your wife or your husband is first your sister before he becomes your wife. 
Number two, she's first the body of Christ before he becomes your wife. Number three, he's first the bride of Christ before he became your bride. So know how you treat him or her. Without this revelation, you, might, you must misunderstand what, what you are called for. So you must see what God sees in your brethren before you can relate with them. We relate with each other by revelation, not by emotion. I told you Christianity is not emotional. People will offend you because once you are with people, they will offend you. But by revelation, we know how to relate and respond. Praise God. We spoke about realities of the church. We said, number one, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The church does not belong to a head pastor. Jesus said, I will build my church. So most of the time, I find it difficult telling my minister friends, my church. It's so difficult for me. It's so difficult. Sometimes when I say it, I just, I just apologize in my mind. Because those things can take over the heart of a man. My church. The church does not belong to a head pastor. It does not belong to a G.O. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. We are the property of Christ. He purchased us by his blood. Praise God. Number two, we said the church is not a physical building. So when we are teaching this, we are stripping you of all the mindset you have about the church so you can be an effective believer. The church is not a building. So you don't say, I'm going to church. You are going actually for church service. Because the church itself is not a building. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it tells us the church of God, which is the house of God, is the pillar and ground of truth, not a physical building. So this is the church auditorium, but we are the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the family of God, and the church is the bride of Christ. That is the church, not a physical building. Praise God. The temple of Solomon was only a type and shadow of we being God's temple. Praise God. So breaking a church is not breaking this building. Praise God. Number three, we said the New Testament focuses on the church in three dimensions. Number one, we have the, believe, the, the believer individually as a church. Every believer individually is a church. You are God's representative on earth. You are God's ambassador. That's why every ambassador has an embassy. When you enter into the embassy of U.S., you are no longer in Ghana, though you are in Ghana. If you enter into the embassy of U.S., you are now in U.S. land. So the laws of U.S. govern you. If an armed robber stole in Ghana and he was being chased and he entered the U.S. embassy, Ghana government cannot deal with him again. You can't shoot him. You can't kill him. When he enters U.S. embassy in Ghana, he's now in U.S. So the believer is God's ambassador. An embassy at the same time. When a believer ministers to an unsaved, heaven is ministering. Now, this is revelation. This is heaven. It is Jesus Himself ministering. Praise God. So, the individual believer is a church. That is how come you must not be a believer on Sunday. Now you need, to, you need to hear me well. There are people who are not believers in their offices. They are not believers in their family. They are not believers amongst their friends. They are believers in church. And that is the danger bit of it because what we do here, you see, what we are teaching here is for outside. 
what we are teaching here is for your office. Let people know what you are made of. Let people know who you are in Christ. Let people, let people ask you, are you a believer? They must see Jesus. Because wherever you are, whatever you do is representing Christ. If you allow another person to say, because of this guy, I don't think I'll ever go to church. You are misrepresenting Jesus. It's unfortunate many believers don't care what they do when they're outside. But listen to me, you must care. Because you are representing Jesus. You don't have to be a pastor to represent him. You just have to be a believer. Because you are part of his body. You are his bride. You are his family. When a boy does not disrespect, they ask, what is his surname? What family is he come from? I want to know his father. When I know his father, I know who he is. So imagine a believer disgracing himself among his family members, dis disrespecting all of them. You are not representing Jesus well. Some of you, you are not talking to your siblings, you are not talking to your parents, you are not talking to other believers. Listen, you are misrepresenting Christ. Be a believer, not in service. Be a believer in service. I'm teaching good here. Represent Jesus Christ in that office. When the man brings you that bribe, that do this for me, facilitate it for me. And Jesus is right within you. You're just waiting how you're going to respond. You just look at the money. You look at Christ in me. You choose one. Christ in me or money. Remember that money will finish. Remember you stand before Jesus. You know, one problem I have with believers is that many believers, in fact, about 90% of believers are not eternity conscious. They think life is now. Listen, even if you are 200 years old, you have not lived. This is from an unsaved man. He was called, Mo, is it Muhammad Ali? He said, go to a desert full of sand and use your hand to fetch one. What you see in your hand is the life you live now. The rest of the whole desert is what you live in eternity. You didn't understand it. That means your eternity is more than this life. It's, this life is just like a handful. The rest of your eternity is the whole desert. And you live in eternity as a believer before Jesus Christ. So whatever you do, you must, you must have eternity in mind. Don't be a short-term believer. Be a long-term believer. Because your actions changes things now and in eternity. Praise God. So we said number two, the church, we have the local church. We have the individual believers as a church. Number two, we have the local church. The local church is a body of believers in a locality or a place where they belong. A local church is a body of believers in a locality. They can be thousands. They are still a local church. Once they meet in a place to worship, they are a local church. Are you following this? Number three, we have the universal church. That is the body of believers, irrespective of the denomination. So, if the person is from action, the person is from um, apostolic, is from presby, is from Methodist, we all form the church. That's the universal church. Praise God. So, we see, we see, we see some ministries treat other foreign ministries as strangers forgetting that we are the church of God 
It's a universal church. We are one body in Christ. Of course, that's another message altogether. So we started by looking at the role of the local church. We said the local church is a very important body in today's life, in this world. The local church has a function. If you don't understand the function and the role of the local church, it's going to affect your service. We said, number one, the local church is a place where a believer grows and is established. The local church is a place where you are fed. It's a place where you are what? You are fed. Now, why did God save you and still leave you here on earth? Why didn't God save you and just translate you to heaven? He saved you for a purpose. That should tell you that. Why did God save you? He saved you so that you come to the knowledge of your salvation. Then you lead others also to salvation. That's why you're saved. So the local church is, is a place where God establishes, where believers can be established. Where believers are fed with the word of God, that they will grow thereby. If you are a believer who does not care about your spiritual growth, you must be concerned about your life. A believer who does not care about his spiritual growth is saying, I don't care about eternity. Because I told you that spiritual growth is the only investment you take into eternity. Spiritual growth and maturity is the only investment you can take into eternity. If you enter into eternity and stand before Jesus, Jesus will not ask you about the job you did when you were on earth. So, if you are a believer and you treasure your work above Christ, there is a problem. I always tell you that that work you are fighting for, killing for, I'm not saying don't work hard, but I'm just saying something. That when you get sick, they have your replacement waiting. I'm telling you, when you die, they will just mourn you for two weeks and continue with the replacement. So, if there's any heart commitment, it should be for the kingdom. I, I always say this because I want you to enter into your spirit. Praise God. I'm teaching good here. So the local church is a place where, where believers are fed. They are taught. They are groomed. They are trained. They are discipled. That's why I don't like the term church member. That is my church member. No, no, no. We were not saved to be church members. Being a member of the body of Christ is enough. We were actually saved to be trained to go and save. Please notice. We were saved to be trained to save. We are saved and trained to save. Please, this is very, very crucial. Please, when you're coming for service, you need to come with your diaries and your notebook. Okay, In LGCC, it's a school. You come to a university. It's called Heaven's University. So you come to learn. So you are saved and trained to, be, to save. So I told you last week, if you're a believer who has been in church for many years and you don't understand salvation, you have a problem. There are many believers today who know about demons more than Christ. They understand the technicalities of ancestral cases more than Christ. They will tell you the types of cases we have, yet they don't understand salvation. Now, you know, the understanding of salvation is that salvation is the basic. When you, when you believe Christ, they teach you salvation as a basic, foundational class. It's a fun class. Salvation is Christianity. And Christianity is salvation. So how do you treat salvation as foundational? Listen. Salvation is the foundation. It is the consummation and the building itself. I'm telling you. 
we will get to understand salvation from now to Jesus comes. And those of you who miss classes in salvation, you will do remedial classes in heaven. <laughs> so salvation is a serious matter. So the reason why you come to church on Sunday is not for me to assure you that your business will stand. It's not for me to prophesy that I see that in the next three months, good news is coming. Listen, listen. You must grow past this. I'm telling you. You must be a mature believer. You must understand salvation so much that you can communicate it easily to another. You can be able to lead another person to Christ. Listen, there is no treasure than understanding and communicating salvation. It is the greatest treasure a believer can have. So if you don't care about what Christ has made you, you better care. You must care. Tell somebody I care. Number two, we said the local church is a place where you are spiritually... No, we said... It's a place where there is mutual submission. The local church is a place where there is mutual submission. There is no master and slave in church. Someone can be your boss in your office, but in church, he's your brethren and you must submit to each other. Are you following me? It's a place where there is what? Mutual submission. In Ephesians 5.21, the Bible says, Submit yourselves one to another. So we submit ourselves to another. No one is bigger than anybody in church. Nobody is older than anybody in church. You must learn to respect. The Bible says that you must learn to give respect to the elders. But of course, you being an older person does not mean that you should lord it over people because you are old. The church is a place where people submit to each other irrespective of age. Are you following this teaching? You must understand this. We must submit to each other. We must not mind high things. We must condescend to each and every believer. We must submit ourselves to one another. Treat each other with respect. Praise God. Number three, we said the the local church is a place where you are spiritually accountable. The local church is a place where you are spiritually accountable. The word accountable means you are answerable. So you don't belong to a place, I'm not talking about Maybe if you visited church, okay? I'm talking about those who are committed to a local church. Those who belong to a local church. So a local church, if you belong to a local church, you must be spiritually accountable. What does it mean? It means somebody must know where you stay. You must not be a mystery. Even Christ has been revealed. Even Christ, he has made himself known. And you are a mystery. Praise God. Someone must know where you work. Don't be a mansonable believer. You know, mansonable believer, they'll go travel hard, they'll come again. They belong to the church. Oh. They'll just come mansonable. <laughs> Praise God. You must be spiritually accountable. Someone should question you why you are late. And you must give an answer. Don't say, how can you question me while I'm late? <laughs> then you are angry. Why are you later? I'm not a kid. No, we know you are not a kid. We know, we've seen your mustache. You are not a kid. 
not married. No, it is not the Christ life. The Christ life submits to authority. So you must be spiritually accountable. You, you must be held accountable. Someone should ask you why. What happened? Someone should ask you why are you behaving this way. I don't think it's good. You, you need someone like that. In your church, and the church gives you that. There are so many believers who can check on you. We are check on each other. I'm telling you. There are sometimes some bad thoughts come to your mind. Then you see the call of a believer. <laughs> yeah. We must be spiritually accountable. Listen, you see, sometimes you must understand that, you see, real authority is seen in submission. That's your true power. You must fear a man that knows how to submit. That man is dangerous. That man is dangerous. I'm telling you. So, anyone who belongs to a local church must be accountable. We've not seen you for four weeks. We should know why. What happened? Hello, sir. How are you? We've not seen you for four weeks. Eh? We, we've not seen you for four weeks. Yes, I know. I'll come. <laughs> you are not a stranger. You have a family. Listen, can you move out from your family, family house, and go for four weeks and nobody hears from you? Then you come back from the family. You come back to the family again. And you come and you expect that everybody will, will smile. It, does it happen? No. So, you see, if you cannot do that to family, you cannot do that to the church you belong. Tell somebody spiritual answerability. So you must be answerable. Now, it's, it's amazing that people are okay being, spiritual, being physically accountable to their boss at their work. To an extent that if you miss work, you must find an excuse. And even that excuse must be excusable enough. So if you say you are sick, they even demand for your medical report. Can you imagine? And you see, you don't have a problem with that. When a church asks you why you are not coming, you, you, you... Trotro and the, tra- the traffic was late and you get to the office, then you take it like Row! off because you'll be queried. You are late for church. <laughs> Jesus is waiting for you in heaven. <laughs> no, you see. You see, you must understand this. What you do to your local church is actually what you are doing to Christ because he's the head of the church. He's the head. So you are actually doing it to him. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus was sitting amongst us in the service, how will you behave? <laughs> you see, you, you, see you, are, you are now alarmed. Jesus was sitting on this chair. You'll be surprised. People's behavior will change. Repentance 101. <laughs> everybody will be comporting himself. 
Even me, I know what to say in my preaching. I'm careful. Because Jesus is here. But do you know he's actually here? You see, because you can't see, you are behaving like an unbeliever. You see your CEO, but you don't see the spiritual CEO. He has always been here. In fact, he comes to church before you do. You see, I always tell people, whatever you do with the revelation, you don't stress doing it. When I caught this revelation, I came to know that lateness is a sickness. Today, I did three things. I woke up at 2 a.m. I studied, prayed three hours. I babysitted. Mixed food for the baby and gave it to the baby. Did house chores, yet I came early. <laughs> Let's move to the next one. Number four, the local church is a place where, people, where, where we are disciplined. Okay, it's a place where we are disciplined. It's a place where we are disciplined. To be disciplined simply means to be brought to order. It's simple. To, brought, to be brought to order or to bring to order. It's not punishment. Like I told you, sometimes other churches do, do discipline in an embarrassing manner. The goal of discipline is not revenge. It is not punishment. So, when somebody does something, you call the person to the front, you announce it to the whole church that he fornicated. So, because of that, we are giving him six months. He will not give offering in the church. He will sit at the back. The pastor doing that should be careful because your daughter can get pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the purpose of discipline is to reform and transform people. It is not to punish. Because embarrassment does not change people. The purpose is to transform the person. Not to deny the person. What is the purpose of discipline? To bring people back on track. So, how you discipline really matters. So the local church is a place where people are disciplined. And believers must understand it. You don't find it. It's a very difficult subject to teach. And you need a lot of confidence to teach it. Because people, Christians, don't see the reason why they must be disciplined when something goes wrong. And it is wrong. Because in the New Testament, there's a place for discipline. Tell someone there's a place for discipline. In, we said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the verse 1 to 7, the Bible says there was someone in the Corinthian church who was sleeping with his stepmother. And guess what? He was warned he was still doing it. He was warned again he was still doing it. And guess what? He was proud of it. Now, such person, do you give him the love of God? Why? Because it can spread in the church. And if nothing is said about it, someone will also do it in another way in the church and nobody can talk. So, he must be dealt with to protect the entire body of believers. Are you seeing that? So, you need to understand discipline before you receive it. 
So it must be done to protect the rest of the church. Because if, if nothing is done to him, everybody feels there is nothing wrong with doing what is wrong. You know, we don't say that everything that goes wrong must be punished, must be disciplined. No. But there are some things that are done that can destroy the church. These are the ones that you discipline. Are you following this? So, you know, sometimes people think that under grace, there is nothing like being strict with certain things. But the apostle of grace himself thought that there are some people you must withdraw yourself from them. I was surprised. I said, Paul, the man of love, the man of revelation, the man of grace, says we should withdraw from certain people. And I gave you some instances, right? Those who work disorderly and those who are idle talkers. The first one is those who work disorderly. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 6. 3 6. 2 Thessalonians 3 6. So let me just give you quick ones, then we can move on. Look, he says, Now we command. So I told you in the New Testament, there are two main things you must look at doctrine and what? Instructions. So there's a place for doctrine. Doctrine establishes the believer in the faith. Instructions give you a guide on how you should walk and how you should live. In the instructions, there is flee. In instructions, there is purge. In instructions, there is walk. In instructions, there is shun. So these are part of the instructions. He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye redraw yourself. Redraw yourself from every brother. It means the person is a believer. Every brother that walketh disorderly. And not after the tradition you have received. The tradition is instructions you have received. So believers who, who teach you to walk against instructions are believers you must avoid. Are you seeing that? He says, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly amongst you. So a believer must behave orderly. Praise God. Number two, disobedience to the epistles. Those who are disobedient to epistles. When the Bible says love, they says hate. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 14 and 15. Watch it. I was surprised myself because I've been preaching grace. Look, he says, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, he says, not that man. So there are people that must be noted. He says, and have no company with him that he may be what? Ashamed. So there is a reason. It is not done in a fleshly way. It is done so the person may be ashamed to come back to the obedience of the epistles. So that he may be ashamed. He realized that nobody is having interest in him in conversation. So, you see, you must do withdrawal maturely. You must do it in love. Because it could be you. But he says you must be careful. You know you can withdraw from somebody, yet you are still with the person. You, you discard every, anything he says. So, it's not just walking away. When you see him coming, you run here. No. But you know how you deal with the person. Praise God. The next one is for fornicators, those who have decided that they enjoy doing it. The covetous, those who envy other people and they are always complaining about people's weavons, people's shoes, people's cars. He says, be, be, Beware of those people. I'm going to show it to you. Second Thessalonians, um, first Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Idolaters, drunkards, and extortioners. 419 believers. Look, he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with what? Fornicators. It's not somebody who by mistake it happened, but somebody who has enjoyed the process and is giving you the storyline of what he has done and he's happy about it. That's the one I'm talking about. Not one who said, Charlie, I don't know what happened. Some, he, he did it the first time. The second time, he said, I don't know what. 
I don't like it. You know, that's a different person. And there's a way you deal with that person to come out of it. But somebody who enjoys it, Charlie, <laughs> he enjoys it. <laughs> he said, yet, not altogether with the fornicators of this world. In other words, if you see an unbeliever who does not believe Jesus and is a fornicator, he didn't say withdraw from him. He says, or oh, with the covetous. Look, covetous people must be avoided. You know why? Because it can, it can spread in your life. Who is a covetous person? A covetous person is someone who wants everything everybody has. Unless he doesn't see a new shoe, he will sell his old shoe and go and buy it. Every update of iPhone, he'll find a means of getting it. Updated iPhone. iPhone 9, you did it. iPhone 10, you did it. When you see somebody having iPhone 10 and you have 9, then you are envying the person. What's the difference between 9 and 10? One. <laughs> you know, there are people who are just covetous. They want everything. And when they see somebody having something they don't have, then they are just angry with the person. You must, you must, you, it will destroy you. I'm telling you, listen, learn to be content with what you have. Don't force yourself to get things that you have not gotten to the level to get. Because life is in levels. He said, ah, but I completed school with him. Why is he there? Master, why? Does it mean that everybody in your class must have the same level or degree of prosperity? No. Me, I would never envy anybody. Nothing makes me envious. Because I'm content. Anything I have was God who gave it to me. And anything I don't have was not God's intention for me at that moment. When you have this in your heart, no, nothing moves you. Someone has a nice car, you praise him. Wow, this is good. You have a very nice car. You thank God for your life. You are gone. You. <laughs> you just imagine accident in the process. So that the car will scratch. Then when they come in, the, the back of the car is scratched. You say, <laughs> You are covetous. You are believing God for wedding. You know, and somebody is wedding. You look and say, ah, the makeup is too much. It's too much. Why? They should use number 13 for it, not number 10. Ah, this girl, she doesn't understand colors. She doesn't understand colors. It's envy. It's not like she doesn't understand colors. Why is a heel too short? You're supposed to use the heel, the long one, so that she can walk like this. It's envy. Ah, the bridesmaids, just use three. Why are you using seven? Three. Use, use three. Oh, why? Cut your... It's covetousness. You don't praise people when they have something you don't have. It's a bad spirit. Listen, you see, you see, everybody has envious and covetous thoughts. I'm telling you, even me. But you must learn to control it. Don't allow it to enter your heart. You think sometimes when you see your pastor friends who are having cars, you don't want a new car? I remember this, you know, you see my car. In my former area, I was driving it and little children were passing. They said, shoe, shoe. My car is a shoe because of the shape. God will punish you. They were calling my car a pastor's car. Shoe, shoe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you'll be tempted to behave like Elijah. Shoe. So, when you hear this, why won't you look at another man's car? Shoo, look at this car. Can you buy it? 
And all the children today were not wearing shirts. They don't have money. And they're calling my cashew. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. So it's embarrassing, you know. I'm telling you. But don't be envious. There are people you are envying today, they want to be like you. You don't know. There are people you are envying today. I heard of a story of a woman who has been standing upstairs. Their husband is rich, but the husband does not take care of her. And she saw a couple who were living a normal, simple life. The man would get down from the car and come and open the car. He said, oh, wow, my husband is a foolish man. <laughs> Apparently, when she went to inquire, that door was faulty. So the man has to get down and open the door. So what you were envying about was useless. It wasn't that the man was caring. It was that the man has to open the door for the wife. And you were envying her for nothing. Listen, most of the people you are envying, are, some of them are troubled in their spirit. I'm telling you. There are some of them who don't sleep. Oh. When you are sleeping at night, they are awake. You know why? Because they wait for sacrifices for what they have. I don't envy any pastor. He can have thousand members. I don't care. I love my church. Love it. I'm telling you. And you must have that understanding. Never want to be in someone's shoes. You will get there. And you also be more beautiful. You know why? Because you use the process. Listen, anybody who just rose up to be rich, never envy that person. Who never went through process. All of a sudden, he's having Jaguar, Benz, Mercedes. Be careful. Never envy. He can be your mate. All of a sudden, he was rich. Don't be envious. You don't know his source. There are people I told you, they can't sleep. Akba, lagba. They can't sleep. Some go to their bedroom with their back. You are going with your front. You are not happy. Some have not bathed. For one year, they use perfume on their body. You are bathing with soap. Some of them, they said they shouldn't touch water. Some, they said they must bring their family members every year. So every year, they are frustrated. They are enjoying money, but they are not enjoying. And you, you just have one single small room. But you have some small fridge there. There is pure water inside. Master, drink it. <laughs> drink it. Appreciate it. And say, Father, I thank you for this stage. I know my levels are changing. It's just a matter of time. I'm getting there. So he says, be, avoid covetous people because they'll boost that spirit in you. Ah, can't you see that our mates are not moving forward more than us? Be careful. Delete that person. <laughs> right now, look, you do know that you are even older than her, but she has married before you. Think about it. Don't think, oh. <laughs> I'm telling you, listen, people have been destroyed because of this. He says, withdraw from covetous people. Anybody that wants everything, be careful about that person. He says extortioners, 419 believers. There are believers who ask money from here, ask loan from here, ask loan from here, ask assistance from here. They are just in the midst of church members asking for money, extortioners. Charlie, I don't even have lorry fare. Meanwhile, they have asked two people already. We will catch you soon. He says avoid them. Number three, he says, number four, he says, idolaters. Who are idolaters? Believers who are comfortable going to a shrine without feeling anything. Idolaters. You know there are believers like that. When there's trouble and <laughs> they know God cannot do that one. They visit. I know some shrine here. Really. Can you solve the problem? Then let's go. 
So if you can solve the problem, you don't mind. Any believer like that, take the person's number, delete it. I'm telling you. And the final one, okay, it says, for them, ye must, uh, must ye needs to go out of this world. Okay. Now, um, come to, let's go to 12. 12 will be fine. All right. Let's go to the next one. The next group is um, heretics. Number four, heretics. Those who teach strange, strange doctrines, which has no scriptural support. He says, be careful. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Look, he says, a man that is a heretic, a false teacher, after the first and second admonition, reject. You don't say, oh, but at least he has some level of truth. So let's listen. He says, reject. Next verse. He says, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinned, being condemned of himself. Quickly, let's look at the, the last group. Those who cause offenses and divisions. Romans 16, the verse 17. Those who cause divisions with strange doctrines. Yeah. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. Look. And offenses contrary to the doctrine which he have learned and avoid them. Good. So now, what is the purpose of discipline? So I want you to see, the purpose of discipline is number one, to maintain honor and respect for Bible authority. It's to maintain honor and respect for Bible authority. So the reason why we discipline believers is to maintain honor and authority for, uh, honor and respect for Bible authority. The Bible is an authority. And if we see things going on that is not right and we don't deal with it, that means we don't respect God. Number two, it is designed to maintain purity in the local church. It is done to maintain purity in the local church so that brethren don't think it is okay to also do it. Number three, it is done to preserve and to protect the character of the believer. It is done to preserve and protect the character of the believer. It is done to preserve and protect the character of the believer. All right, number four. He says, down, it is down to save the member living in sin or disobedience. It is down to save that person. It is down to save that person. So if somebody calls you to order by something that is going wrong, he loves you. It is done to save you. Do you know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, that brother in 1 Corinthians 5 who was sleeping with the stepmother, when they took action against him, do you know he changed? He changed. Now, in 2 Corinthians 2, 6, Paul had to tell them to receive him back because he has been too sorrowful enough. Look, he says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Next verse. He says, so that contrary wise, he ought to forgive him and comfort him so perhaps such one should be swallowed up by overmatch sorrow. Are you seeing that? So it is done to correct believers. It's not done to punish them. You understand? So there are, be- there are people that when uh, they are being disciplined in church, there are friends in the ministry who go and join them and say, don't mind the pastor. Don't mind him. Don't mind him. We love you. If he has forsaken you, we still love you. You know, you are destroying the person. That's what you're doing. You are destroying the person. You think, you think the pastor does not love the person? He loves the person more than you. Because the Bible says, open rebuke is better than hidden love. Are you following me? Good. 
let's go to the next one. The local church is a place where we serve. The local church is a place where we serve. So, into brackets, we serve the, the local church and we serve one another. It's a place where we serve. Now, you know, we need to get this. Many people have a wrong understanding of service in a local church. You know, there are people who serve with the mindset of having a position. That's wrong. You don't serve to get a position. So, we, we are believers who are serving so that they'll be made a pastor. It's a wrong perception. So, in case they are disappointed, then they are disappointed with the church, then they leave. It's a wrong perception about service. Please notice. There are others also who are serving because they are unemployed. So they are serving. After getting a job, they are graduates. They graduate. There are others also who are serving because they are not yet married. After they marry, they can't serve again. In a church I was in before, there was one lady who was in the choir. And she says, you people, it's because I'm not married. That's why I'm quiet watching you. When she got married, she stopped the choir. Because she thought marriage was graduation from service. And many believers think that way. They think after giving birth, you have graduated from service. It's wrong. Praise God. The signature of a believer is service. Service is your signature. Please notice service is the signature of the believer if i want to know that you are a believer i see it in your service constant continuous service praise god and there are people who don't serve again when they have they don't serve when they have mood swings when they are in a good mood they serve in a bad mood they don't serve wrong because I told you Christianity is not emotional. Because you must understand you are serving Jesus and not the church. So mood swings don't change your service. Are you following? You know, a, a, a radio presenter who's called Nasha, because she's my friend, she was saying something at that time. She said there was a time she was very moody because she was very emotional about something. And she was so, supposed to do the show in five minutes. And the show is an entertaining show. But inside, there's no entertainment. And you are paid to work. She said within that five minutes, you know, that, you know there are some pains that cannot make you do certain things. The pain was so strong that five minutes was not enough to heal within that time. Yet she was supposed to be on air. You know what she, she said? She did. She said she knows she has been paid to do this assignment. So within five minutes, she had to put herself together. Wept within the five minutes. Put herself together. And went to the show. Hi, my name is Nashiko. Presenting. A radio presenter did this. And you are a believer, serving Jesus. Saying that, but Jesus does not pay me. He paid with his blood. What payment do you want? <laughs> what payment do you want? 
So if I'm in a good mood, I said, it is wrong. Listen, Jesus is the head of the church. And whatever you are doing in service is to him, irrespective of mood. You still serve. So you can be in pain, yet you are smiling. Listen, your pain should not cause a member to leave a church. You see, this I'm not talking to AJCC. You see an usher who is emotional because something happened at home before he came. And somebody enters. Please come. And the person is saying that ah, this chair. Why? I'm not in the mood. Wow. So if you are going for an interview to travel to US and you were not in the mood, will you go for the interview? You see, I look at my face. No, you see, it's not emotional. You serve irrespective of how you feel. And this is the revelation you must have. Tell somebody you must have this revelation. Now, 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 get this. Let's understand this. Who is a servant? Let me, let, let's quickly de- define it. First of all, write it down. Write this down. You don't graduate from service. You don't graduate from service. You are saved to serve. Service is the signature of a believer. The last one, you are born again to serve forever. You are born again to serve forever. Please note this. You are born again to serve forever. That is the life you have been called to. So there is no graduation. You are a servant before and after marriage. You are a servant before or after promotion. You are a servant before after becoming and after becoming a CEO. You are a servant forever. If you don't get this truth, Christianity will be stressful for you. I'm teaching good here. Tell somebody I'm a servant. Now, question, you need to understand who a servant is before you can understand service. Who is a servant? Now, the word servant is from the Greek word doulos. Some people can relate. <laughs> doulos. Doulos. Now, the word doulos means a slave. Doulos means a slave. Number two, doulos means a bound man. Number three, doulos means a man of servile condition. He, service has become his condition. He is a man of servile condition. Number four, one who gives himself to the will of another. That's a servant. One who gives himself to the will of another. Are you following? It also means to be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. To be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. That's a servant. Finally, it's one who loses his right to another. A servant is one who loses his right to another. So the another there is Jesus Christ. 
Because he's the one you are serving, not the head pastor. I'm just a representative. So I'm talking about Jesus Christ. You lose your right to him. That's a servant. Praise God. Tell someone I'm a servant. Oh, come on, say it boldly. I'm a servant. Now, do you know that the early church, most of the pastors who were called deacons, they were pantry men. They were serving food. Those days, if you're a young pastor, if you're a deacon, they were serving food. Praise God. They were not wearing clerical. They were serving food. Deacons. Pantry boys. They say. I was shocked. You can go read the book of Acts. Nobody is bigger than service. Including the head pastor himself. He's a servant. Praise God. Listen. You must allow service to be in your spiritual DNA. Let it soak. For me, there is no work of ministry I cannot do. I'm, I'm not bigger than anything. It must be your conviction. In my former church, which was my dad's church, I told you, I was a drummer. I drummed there for more than 11 years. I was an usher. I was a musician, a singer. I was singing. I was a prayer warrior. And I was a prophet there. I've heard this, so you know that I was not doing it before ministry. I was doing it in ministry. I was doing all these, four th- these five things at the same time. Never felt big. I traveled to India, came back, went back drumming and holding the microphone and praying. as a prayer warrior. Ushering. Had nice, beautiful invitations, even more than a head pastor. Yet I came back to submit. It is your life, oh never graduate so nothing is hard for me I can scrap this floor I'm telling you God knows my heart I can scrap this floor the walls over there the last time I scrapped the walls on Saturday I'm telling you I scrapped the walls there I'm not saying that to the shame of ushers but I'm telling you I scrapped it nothing is big for me head pastor boss who Coming, everybody, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was going to the washroom. Ah, I opened the door. Kadan was standing there. I said, ah, Are you coming to the washroom? He says, No, I, I came to escort you. I said, Master, I'm Jesus' foolish boy. So stop following me. I'm the foolish boy of Jesus. The foolish boy of Jesus. And I was privileged. And he told me, Tale, go and do this job for me. I'm his foolish boy. Praise God. So nobody is bigger than any of Service is the key and the power to walking in the anointing. I'm telling you the truth. Service is a path. So listen, listen, if you're not serving, look for something to do. Praise God. Alright. And alright, let me not go into details. Let's let's still push it. Philippians chapter 2, the verse 4 to 7. Let me finish this in um, five minutes. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Yes, next verse. Now look, he says, let this mind be in you. The word mind means affection. It means a feeling. It means a thought. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, this mind I'm about to explain was also in the mind of Jesus. 
So if Jesus did this, you must have this mind also in you as a believer who is serving him. Look at the next verse. He says, who being in the form of God. Now listen, Jesus did not lose his deity when he was a man. He was still God, yet man. Who being in the form of God, thought it no robbery to be equal with God. So we are talking about God here. Next verse. But made himself. It was a choice. He's telling you. He made himself. It was his choice. He made himself of no reputation. So one key about service is remove your reputation when it comes to service. He says this mind must be in you because this was Jesus' mind. Remove reputation from service. I am so, so, and so. Jesus is the I am that I am. Remove reputation. He says, made himself of no reputation, reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Now, this was what Jesus did willingly. So, service is something you must do willingly. And he's telling you that it takes humility to serve. So any believer who is offended and stops service is a believer that does not have a revelation of who is serving. I told you that anything you do out of uh, out without revelation will be done in stress. Anything you do without revelation will be done in, service, in stress. You must have a revelation about what you're doing. So anybody that stops serving because he was offended, anybody that's, that had a reason to stop serving is a, is a believer who does not understand who is serving. Because the one you are serving demonstrated it by making himself of no reputation and taking upon him the form of a servant. Look, he says, and was made in the likeness of men, fallen men. Do you see how humbling it is to even enter into the womb of a sinner? When you are God, that is humility. To allow a sinner to bath you. Imagine Jesus. If Jesus came with full glory and Mary was bathing, hey, don't touch my ass. <laughs> don't you know you're bathing God? Hey, don't touch my nipple. Hey, don't touch my nipple. Because I'm God. I can imagine if Jesus was doing that. He allowed himself. He says, Jesus. Can you imagine God? Hey, and who are you again? Who, who did you say you were? <laughs> who did you say you were? The CEO of what? <laughs> the CEO of what? Again, I want to know, I want to know. Who did you say you were? The reason why you can't serve? Tell me. God! Humbling himself to be given birth to. To be lashed. You know, many of you, sometimes many of you thought that Jesus Christ was some holy angel when he was, he was on earth. Like he selected his walking. And his mother was coming and said, hey, mother, approach her down here. And the mother is preparing. Then the mother comes, Jesus, patch up a day. 
Mami, you fear me, you're fasting. <laughs> Jesus was not behaving that way. How every man grows is how Jesus grows. grew. How every man grew was how Jesus grew. He went through the process. They sent him, Joseph. Jesus, Jessica, cut away wood, bra, me find wardrobe. And Jesus will go. Jesus will carry the wood on his head. Made himself of no reputation. Even chose to become the son of a carpenter. Carrying the wood. He says, take the nail for me. He takes it. Cow, cow, cow. Take the hacksaw. Jesus, take the hacksaw. Come and hold the wood for me. Jesus, God. And you. Hey, my Jesus. And the most humiliating part is that what he did not do, they said he did. And they arrested him, he did not resist. They asked him, Who are you? He said, Who is the slapped in power? God humbled himself because he wanted to serve man by dying for him. Listen, without this revelation, service will be a burden. Why are they keeping long in church like this? What time do you close at work? Answer me. You close at four, five. Do we close four? Okay. Why is it that they are worrying us with everything? He said you should do this and this and this. The man you are serving. You can't even spend six hours with your savior. Yet holiday, you can be at the beach for 12 hours. Why? I'm chilling for Christ. You are chilling for... <laughs> it's okay. No, you see, this thing should be a concern to you. You don't have a problem watching a season movie. It is, it is two o'clock. Two o'clock. He said, who do eat? I'm coming. Four o'clock. You have not eaten. It's okay. Six o'clock. I'm eating. No. We are doing fasting and prayers. Master, why? I'm scared of you. Hey. I thank God for Paul. Paul said, I shall give you guys. He said, I marvel. I'm, Jesus is just marveling at you. Maybe, let's say, an example. You are the one cleaning the toilet. And all of a sudden, you were not expecting to see anything nasty inside. And you went there, you said, Ah, Jesus! What's your in the ah! Don't you go put yourself? Eh? When do you get back? When you the bride of Christ, oh. Now, now listen, you cleaned it faithfully and anybody who came to see it said, wow. But listen, you had no reward. Listen, do you know that Jesus, God will not only judge what we did. I was surprised. He will judge why you did it. Your motives will be judged. Can I show you a scripture? First Corinthians chapter 4, the verse 5, NIV. When I saw this, I was alarmed. Even the motive for you doing things will be awarded. So you could do the thing faithfully but in your motive, it was done selfishly. Look. He says, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. 
He will expose the motives of men. So you see, it is not just what you have done or what you do. It is your motive for doing what you did. On the outside, people will applaud you because you did it. But the motive for doing it is what will also be judged. When I saw this, I said, even as pastors, why do we raise money? What is the purpose for a pastor raising money? Is it, is it to have more money or to expand the gospel? Even men of God, our motives will be judged. While we are doing five days of glory, five days of power, 23 days of fasting, while we are doing that, the motive will be exposed. I told you last two weeks, we wanted to, we were doing five days prayer meeting. I was thinking, okay, the five days prayer meeting, what is, is, is it okay if we take offerings for all the five days? I said, okay, so we're going to take offerings. I was there, the Holy Ghost says, what's your motive? What is your motive? I said, no, we have a need. We have to pay some things. Our building is about to expire. We need to pay, so are we going to find a means to pay? And God says, hey, what's your motive? And I stopped immediately. We came, did five days without taking offering. So the motives of men, when people are calling you Papa, the motive for receiving it, The motive. The motive. Listen, the motive is very strong. The reason why you do things is as important as how you do it. When I saw this, I realized that God even judges our motive. The work can be done, but the motive is strife. The work can be done, but the motive is envy. The work can be done, but the motive is, is, is give me some, is selfishness. The motive. And listen, people, listen, don't, don't be moved by, by um, the applause of men. I've trained my spirit to reject praises. Because the, the people praising you, it's not God praising you. So you can be doing things and people be praising you, but God is not praising you. And listen, whatever we are doing, God is going to judge. I'm teaching someone here. Please. Your motive is very necessary. Praise God. Tell someone your motive. Your motive. Listen, you know there are some people who come to church because they have a new dress. I'm telling you. You know, before we started ministry, there were, there were times some years ago, my, uh, one of my sisters, I'll mention the name, uh, we're having a joint service at my dad, uh, where my dad's church is, the headquarters. And she didn't want to go for service. And I asked her, I said, oh, I've worn all my dresses. And I laughed. I, uh, it was, I mean, for me, we didn't, I didn't say anything. And we went for service. Ah, so upon observation, I realized that, oh, so there are people like that. So I saw one woman. My wife told me that this woman, anytime she wears a new dress, watch her. I started watching her. When she wears a new dress, that day she dances at church. She would dance. Then the people who dress well, they come and stand in front of them. Motive. Motive. Tell someone motive. Listen, a servant does the will of the other, not his will. Why will you come to church because you have a new dress? And I pray it doesn't happen here. You wear the old dress like that and come because the reason why you came is to grow, not to fashion. Are you getting this? So our motives will be judged. 
Are you following? Let me end this. Servants don't look at what they get first, but they look at what they can do first. Servants don't look at what they can get first. So if you're coming to church to receive something from God, and that is your first motive, you have missed the whole thing. You are coming to see what you can do for God. For his kingdom. You know, many believers are selfish spiritually. They are always thinking about themselves. It's me, it's me, it's me. They want God to solve all their problems. Listen, God cannot solve all your problems. Are you, are you listening to me? God cannot solve all your what? The earlier you know this, the better. He can't solve all your problems. There are, some, there are some in the early church. Because of their faith in Christ, they were killed. They were killed for believing Jesus Christ. They were killed for preaching the gospel. In fact, most of the people Paul wrote in the epistles, most of them were poor. Most of them were being heavily persecuted. But I don't think that can happen in churches today. When they are persecuted, they leave. When they have a problem, it's not solved, they leave. How? Listen, it is not about you first. The man did all the work for you. Now you must do it for him. So it's about what you can do. Now, and too quickly, servants don't think about themselves. They think about their master. So the goal of a servant is pleasing his master. Quickly, number three, which is the final one. We're going to continue next week. Servants don't complain. They work. Servants don't complain. They do what? They work. And it's amazing that one thing that the New Testament frowns at is, is complaining, grumbling, and memory. You might think it's nothing, but to God, it's, some, it's something very serious. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible warns believers about complaining. Look, he says, neither mama. What is mama? Complaining and grumbling. He says, as some of them also mammed in the Old Testament, and were destroyed of the destroyer. In Philippians chapter 2, the verse 14, give me that one quickly. You see, it says, do all things without memories and disputings. Listen, a servant does not complain. It, you see, b- believers who love complaining are believers you must be watchful of. Because complaining is not a good spirit. Complaining destroys churches. It divides churches. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? Let me give you this. Now, anybody who complains, number one, you will be stressed when you complain. It's amazing, it's amazing that you go to the airport, they'll tell you remove your belt before you come through the laser. You don't complain, you remove it. They said remove your shoe and stand on the, on the thing. You remove your shoe without complaining. But in church you find people complaining at everything that is done. Listen, the church is not here to please you. The church is here to grow you. Number two, if you complain, what you complain about, there's no reward. So if you are acting in service somewhere and you are complaining about what you are doing, your reward is over. I'm teaching you here. You have no reward for what you complain about. Because you have already spoken against it. And the one who gave you the job is the one you are complaining about. There is no reward for complaining. So please note this. It's a very dangerous thing. Number three, it is useless. It's better you stopped. It is useless. Listen, if you complain, whatever you do is useless. It is better you stopped. I'm teaching you because I love you. Last but not the least, you oppose Christ himself. 
every complainer is actually opposing Jesus. You oppose Christ himself. Next one, it means you are serving yourself. We are not serving Christ again. You are serving yourself. The final one, you weaken other believers. You know complaint can spread. There are people who never thought that some things were stressful. Some people never thought that uh, we delay in church. Or we do extra curriculum activities. But the moment they were okay until you started raising it. You are too stressed. Let's uh, then someone says, ah, why? Let's, let's do it this way. Why is it that eh? the pastors they don't have time for they don't they don't have heart for us? Don't you know we are all suffering? Eh? Why? We have one to do. Why? I tell people that believers why in a hurry to go home on Sunday, they do nothing when they go home. They go and sleep. I'm telling you the truth. Those who are in a hurry to go home on Sunday, when you go, what do you gonna do? You sleep. It's just your flesh resisting. You must resist it. When we close, don't be in a hurry to go. Mingle with people. Because you don't do anything. So I'll repeat it again. When you complain, you get stressed about what you complain. Not Listen, anytime you complain about the work you are doing for Jesus Christ, you get stressed when you are doing it. When you do it a little, you get tired. You are angry. You just don't like it. Number two, there is no reward for you. Number three, it is useless and it's better you stopped. Number four, you oppose Christ himself. Number five, you serve yourself. And number six, you weaken other believers. Because it can spread. Complaining spirit can spread. Never entertain complainers. Because it will spread to you. I'm teaching good here. Praise God. So serve and serve and serve. Listen, do you know you can serve in the flesh? You can serve in the flesh. Your service can be in the flesh. For example, someone entered the building as an usher. Of course, we don't have many departments. So the only department is ushering and choristers and uh, technical. And maybe sometimes instrumentalists. Listen, if you can watch season movies for three hours, you must watch me for one hour, 30 minutes. Watch me. I'm your season movie tonight, uh, this morning. I'm done. So... That's an usher. And then somebody comes in, and the first smell that meets you is the smell of, you know, that papon smell. That's the first smell. Sit here, sit here. Okay, five minutes later, a man came with shoot perfume. In fact, when you smell the perfume, you know this perfume is either thousand or thousand five. And he comes, hello, 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 sir. Yo, what comes? Please come. She said, you are serving the flesh. Oh, okay. You ushered a believer in a very normal way. Shatawale comes in. Oh my God! Shata! 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 Please hold on. You better, Pastor, please, please, before we start the service. Shut up, please come inside. You are serving the flesh. We call it shut up flesh. <laughs> you are serving the flesh. For example, drama is playing, and you know you are standing a certain girl in the church. And when a girl looks around, it's like pass on, pass on by. When the lady turns away, then you play now. Yeah. 
you are serving the flesh. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, you, as an usher, a, a, a quarry star, you know, you've won a new dress and they're singing. And then, as you're singing, uh, the rich man is watching you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> It's amazing. Minister Sam will tell you, lift up your hands and let's worship. And then you are watching his face. Joe Metal says, lift your hands. <laughs> you are serving God in the flesh. What is the difference between Minister Sam and Joe Metal? They are all ministers of Christ. You know what is wrong with the church? We respond to our flesh. You know, amazingly, when we say let's worship, there are believers who stand there. They're just watching your face. Then... The worshiper who is worshiping lifted your favorite song. Oh, thank you, Lord, my favorite song. Praise Jesus. You are in the flesh. Listen, no matter how well you close your eyes, you are still in the flesh. Because you are actually worshiping yourself. Because, listen, who are we worshiping to? To Jesus. So you only respond when it's your, it's your favorite song. It is self-worship. In conclusion, it is self Service. You are serving yourself. You love Mr. Sam's administration. But you don't love Julie's administration. When Julie sings, he said, this girl, she's too dark. Ah. So when Mr. Sam is leading, you are like this. When another person apart from Mr. Sam is leading, you are like this. You know, it's in the flesh. Now, we need to teach this because many believers have been serving themselves thinking they are serving Jesus. But we are worshipping you actually. We are worshipping you. We are not worshipping Jesus. Now, when you are singing worship songs, it is the words you minister to the Lord. It is not who is ministering. Whether a person has a good voice or a bad voice. Some respond to nice voices. You must not respond to nice voice, but the words in the voice. I'm telling you. So, we, we must learn how to serve in this way. Do you know that if Minister Sam is holding a microphone and he says, lift up your hands, it is Jesus saying, lift up your hands. Some people are just proud that once you say, lift up your hands, they will put their hands down. You know who you are fighting against? Jesus, not Minister Sam. And also says, oh, please sit here. If you don't want to say this, oh, because I'm having this, oh, please let me sit here. But he says, no. <laughs> you are rebelling against Christ. It is Jesus, through Linda's voice, telling you sit here. When we see Christ in every department, I'm telling you, we worship. When we see Christ, you know, some love my, the way I teach. But what if Mr. Sikapa is teaching? Or what if Pastor Moses is preaching? Today we didn't enjoy service at all. Because no rough. You think I'm playing? Uh, you think I'm playing here? Now, I'm going to make to play it's not a joke so today our service or oh, service it was okay who preached <laughs> pastor moses how did it go declaration <laughs> 
a simply carnality. When we understand that Jesus is the head of the church, anybody he puts in charge is him in charge. And this must affect our worship. If the man says, lift up your hands, if Julie, if Annabelle, if Linda says, lift up your hands, it is Jesus saying, lift up your hands. Don't watch the age, don't watch the stature, don't watch the structure. Watch Jesus, the person's voice, and lift your hands. If it's not the style of worship you want, lift your hands. If it's not the mode of worship you want, lift your hands. If it's not the minister you want, lift your hands. Because we are not worshipping you, but Jesus himself. I've closed. Please rise up on your feet. I want you to pray. You're praying, Lord, cause me to walk in the revelation I've received about spiritual authority. I want you to lift your voice and begin to pray. Lift your voice and begin to pray. The Lord caused me to walk in the revelation I've received. Caused me to walk in the revelation I've received. Come on, I just want you to lift your voice and pray. That God caused me to walk in this revelation I've received. The reason why you are not walking effectively as a believer is because you lost, you lost the revelation. Because you lost the revelation. Now the revelation has come. Just pray to God. To cause you, to enable you to walk in this revelation. To walk in this truth. Thank you, Jesus.